What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Nader Alnaji is the head of the DSO Foundation. In this conversation, we talk about decentralized social networks and why some of the incentives in today's society are misaligned with ultimately what people are trying to accomplish. I really enjoyed this conversation with Nader, and I hope that you enjoyed it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by OKCoin. They are my favorite place to buy, trade, and stake crypto. They're the fastest-growing U.S.-based exchange, serving over 190 countries globally with the easy onboarding and low fees. If you haven't tried them out yet, you should. They're on a mission to make learning about and buying crypto easier than ever. And they're all about bringing more financial literacy to everyone, something we can always use more of. From being the only exchange to integrate Lightning to contributing over $1 million for Bitcoin core developers, they're doing incredible work to further the Bitcoin ecosystem. And they offer lots of other vetted utility assets from gaming to DeFi. With OKCoin, I feel confident that the future really will be OK. To get started, go to okcoin.com pomp for some free Bitcoin when you sign up. Again, if you want free Bitcoin, go to okcoin.com pomp today. Today's episode is brought to you by Fundrise. You all know I believe that the best investors both understand and seek out extreme asymmetry. Fundrise is here to help you do just that. It's the largest direct-to-investor real estate investment platform out there, giving you the opportunity to achieve upside of an asset class previously reserved for institutions and high net worth individuals. That's right. Fundrise is making high-end private market real estate investing accessible to everyone via an easy-to-use automated platform. It's 1 million users already know that the investment with Fundrise is capable of producing strong appreciation returns and income generation while helping to stabilize a diversified portfolio. That's more important now than ever in our inflationary environment. See for yourself how over 190,000 other investors have built a better portfolio with private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started with as little as $10. Go to fundrise.com slash pomp today. And for a limited time, you'll get $10 when you place your first investment. Again, that's fundrise.com slash pomp. Go check it out. And when you make your first investment, they'll give you $10 on top of it. Fundrise.com slash pomp. Today's episode is brought to you by Pipe. Crypto is all about giving the power back to the people. And our sponsor Pipe is doing that in a big way. Pipe is the world's first trading platform that allows you to trade recurring revenue streams for upfront capital. And with Pipe's new API, companies with recurring revenue can build seamless embedded financing options into their platforms. One of the most interesting uses for Pipe's new API right now is Compass Mining's Mine Now, Pay Later, which powers payment plans on Bitcoin mining hardware so more miners can start or scale with a smaller upfront investment. Whether you're looking for mining hardware or scaling any business with recurring revenue, check out Pipe to access growth capital with no loans, no dilution, no restrictive covenants or warrants, just growth on your terms. And right now, Pomp Podcast listeners can access tens of thousands of dollars, even millions, fee-free for 12 months. Whether you are a Bitcoin mining company looking to enable financing for your customers or a SaaS, DTC, or any business that has recurring revenue, sign up at pipe.com slash pomp. Again, pipe.com slash pomp to start trading today. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. 
Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Okay, we have Nader joining us. Talk a little bit about decentralized social networks. Uh, Nader, how are you? Hey, it's it's great to see you guys. Absolutely, dude! Awesome background. You're uh, you're oh. killing it with the background. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's like half a green screen, literally. I I need to fix it, but uh, I thought. <laughs> You know, we'll get there one day. <laughs> need, need more Bitcoin, you know? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I love it. All right. I want to yeah. start first with what you think the issues with the current social networks are. So we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook. These are obviously massive, massive multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, we're literally using some of them to communicate on a daily basis. What do you think the big challenges with them are? Like, what are they, where are their missteps? Yeah, well, this is the funny thing, Pomp, is that if you look at social media today, it's actually more centralized than the financial system was before Bitcoin. I mean, you know, like literally think about it, right? You have five companies that virtually control everything we see and do online. And we're over here trying to decide which billionaire we want to censor us. You know, it's, it's you know, who's going to own Twitter? Zuckerberg owns Facebook already. Um, but Pomp, you know, you guys know the real answer, which is that we want nobody in charge, right? We want to own our information like we own our Bitcoin. And that's something that people really aren't talking about. You know, like it's funny because the solution to centralization in the financial system uh, wasn't to put Warren Buffett in charge of money, right? It was to use technology, namely Bitcoin, uh, to completely overhaul it and, and decentralize it. Um, and so, you know, for what we think is basically the same overhaul is needed in social. And we think that blockchain is the answer there too. Uh, and the reason it hasn't happened yet. Uh, we think is because uh, we basically still need to scale blockchain tech to be able to handle storing content, uh, not just moving money around. So those are very different problems, right? So just for example, it costs $80 to store a 200 character post on Ethereum. It costs 25 cents to a dollar on Solana, Avalanche, Polygon. You know, that's not low enough to compete at scale with Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, but if we could, then we could really change things. We could actually make it so that uh, you can own your content like you own your Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So when you think when you think about these problems, how much of it is censorship versus there's other issues that are playing out? Like like the the censorship thing is very obvious. I think people understand that, and and control is kind of interfaced with that. Uh, are there other things, or or is it just let's get rid of the censorship? Well, that that's the interesting thing. Pomp is uh, when you decentralize something, um, you actually unlock the ingenuity of everybody all over the world rather than a small group of people running a top-down or, or centralized organization. So just to give you an example, right, uh, you know, when you got Ethereum going and you let anybody like build on top of that open financial platform, you got more innovation in DeFi in like two years than probably like the last 50 years in, in finance, right? Um, and so that's really what putting content on an open platform on a blockchain does is now instead of having one company or five companies really that, that are in charge of building the feeds, uh, you can actually have anyone in the world spin up a social app and their own social feed with extremely low barrier to entry because they have access to all of that content. They can build a feed without having to go and acquire a billion users in order to be competitive. So essentially it lowers the barrier to entry to creating a social app, which not only gives you a lot more choice when it comes to moderation, like who do you want to moderate, uh, but it also leads to better apps, better experiences, uh, better everything. 
Um, and so you're absolutely right. It's, it's a problem of unlocking the entire world's potential and moving, really moving from centrally planned uh, development of social apps to uh, decentralized development, which I think can be a lot more efficient. And so when you think about this idea of like a decentralized version being better, um, talk through a little bit. So there's the lack of control. Uh, there's this idea of like pulling on the community. What, what else is there that, that you see as the value of having it decentralized? Yeah. So, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, you know, when I say decentralizing social media, uh, I really mean actually putting your content on a blockchain. Like we work on the DSO blockchains designed to store social, uh, social data and build social apps on. Uh, and so what that means is, uh, essentially, you make, uh, make an account. That account's actually a public-private key, and everything that you do goes on-chain, just like if you were sending and receiving Bitcoin on, on the Bitcoin blockchain or doing DeFi on Ethereum, right? So, but again, it's for social, right? We're, we're moving that disruption from just financial applications to social. And so what happens is when you follow someone, uh, that goes on-chain. When you make a post, that goes on-chain. Uh, and um, the benefit of that is basically that uh, any app that wants to build on top of that chain can actually get access to that open fire hose of content um, and start building more efficient apps, more efficient feeds. Um, so that's what I'm talking about when uh, you know I'm talking about decentralizing social media. It's putting the follow graph, the content, the engagement, the likes, uh, and then all that other stuff actually on a blockchain. Got it. And so when you start to think about, let's take Twitter as kind of the uh, the current event situation, if you will. Uh, if you were Elon and you actually got control of Twitter, uh, which is still un unclear whether he will be able to success successfully do that or not, what do you think he should do? Like, what 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 would you do with Twitter if uh, if it had all these users, but it's definitely centralized, hierarchical, uh, and kind of as far away from what we're talking about as uh, as it could be? It's a great question. And I think th the first thing you have to ask yourself is, do you care about the Twitter share price? Um, because if you care about the Twitter share price, then I actually think the ads-driven business model that it has today is probably the most efficient for extracting value from its network. So what that means basically is Twitter runs what I call an ads-driven business model. And that means that when you make a post on Twitter, they own that post and they don't let anyone else build an app on top of it. The only way that other people will see the posts that you make on Twitter are if you use Twitter's app. And the reason why they do that is because if they were to allow someone else, a third party to run an app on their content, they wouldn't be able to monetize that app. They can't show ads as effectively on apps they don't control. And so the ad-driven business model results in extreme centralization. It results in Twitter needing to basically consolidate all of the content uh, and only allow its app on top of it so that it can be a broker between advertisers and its users through that app, right? So if you care about Twitter's share price, if you care about profits, then um, breaking that model is extremely risky because um, it's kind of hard to make more money uh, uh, directly, um, you know, or rather you might be able to, but it's risky. So uh, if you don't care about share price, the thing that creates more value, not about extracting value, creating value for society, uh, is actually if you open up that content and allow anybody to build on it. So in particular, Twitter doesn't have to say, we're going to be the only ones who make an app. We could actually let anybody build an app on top of Twitter's database. Uh, and actually, what's funny is most social networks actually started open that, in that way. So Facebook and Twitter started open to build their networks when they were in their growth phase. But the problem is that open uh, uh, model, uh, at least in the centralized world pre-blockchain, 
uh, wasn't very monetizable. So while it's good for actually building a large network and creating maximum value for users, you can't actually extract as much value when you're letting any app in the world, any, any developer in the world, build content on your block, uh, on your uh, uh, database. Uh, the thing that finally changes that for the first time, and it's a new business model, uh, and it's a post I wrote on nattertheory.com that just went out today. Uh, the thing that changes that is the fact that blockchains can integrate money with social. When you can integrate money with social, uh, you can have a different business model than ads that allows you to have an open uh, platform like a blockchain, uh, but you're making money in a different way that actually can make you more money than you made before. And I know that's a little bit high level, but I I've been talking for, for, for a minute here, so I just want to give it back to you. So, so I think <laughs> that I can this, go into it. No, I think this difference between do you care about the share price or do you not is really important, right? Um, and Elon publicly did say that uh, this isn't about economics for him, it's about free speech. Um, and so that would suggest he doesn't care about the share price. L let's hold that as the uh, kind of yeah. assumption here. Um, but when you think about that, I also wonder how important revenue then is. If you don't care about share price, maybe that means that in the short term you can just you know tank it, right? You just don't care, it's private, whatever. Uh, but is it important to have revenue? So like, you know, one of the things that uh, I said is if all you literally cared about was the free speech, then like, buy Twitter, bring it private, fire, you know, 90% of the staff, basically outside of like the core engineering team, uh, and open source as much of it as possible. And like, good luck, everyone. Let's go as a community. And my guess is that like some pretty cool, interesting things would come out of that. The question becomes, do you need revenue at all to actually make that sustainable? Or could it operate as a truly open source project where, you know, in the Bitcoin community, for example, there's grants and things like that that help fund some of the development, but there is no revenue model uh, that goes to the, the kind of core team. How do you think about the importance of revenue in a world where you like open source a product like Twitter? Yeah, I mean, so I actually think that you need a business model that makes money for certain actors in the ecosystem in order for the model to be sustainable. So if nobody is making money, um, I think the thing is going to fall into, into disrepair, right? I, I think you have to have some people making money. Um, and it's good to start with your example of Bitcoin, right? On, uh, with Bitcoin, um, on the protocol, you know, no one uh, actively gets money for developing Bitcoin protocol, but there's an application layer on top of Bitcoin uh, that are that's exchanges uh, you know that allow you to trade and and all kinds of other things uh, lending platforms that do make money right they make money on fees they make money on you doing stuff with your Bitcoin on that application layer uh, and so and that's actually gives them an incentive to make sure that Bitcoin works that Bitcoin functions obviously the people who own Bitcoin have an incentive and some of the the uh, biggest you know development teams are funded by people who own a lot of Bitcoin so you definitely need some kind of thing that makes money uh, and brings it back into developing and investing in the network. Uh, the question is, how do you do that uh, with, with a social network versus uh, 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 something like Bitcoin? Um, and I think that uh, that actually brings us back to what would I do if I were to own Twitter, right? Opening up Twitter's content and allowing anyone to build on it lacks that uh, uh, incentive to actually keep developing the network, right? Because how are you making money, right? Uh, you know, you could charge developers for, uh, you know, for like, you know, using your API in their apps, but that's probably, I, I actually doubt that's necessarily going to make you enough money to, uh, to even keep the lights on necessarily, right? So you really need something that's more efficient. And that's actually where blockchain comes in, right? So the thing that blockchains are really good at, and the reason why uh, actually fully disrupting the architecture of Twitter 
from a centralized server to a blockchain can really uh, uh, um, pay dividends, which is that blockchains are really good at mixing money and other things, in this case, social, right? So when you build social media on a blockchain, you get access to completely new product features uh, that you can transition to a fee-based model, a fee-per-transaction-based model, rather than uh, uh, just um, you know, charging developers or ads like it is today. And the way that works is you basically have uh, microtransactions or macro transactions that you couldn't do with the traditional payment rails. So NFTs are the most example, uh, the biggest example, but they're actually uh, not necessarily the, the biggest, right? You actually want something that's more integrated with social. Uh, so there's, you know, creator coins that are tied to people's reputation, speculating on a post, you know, speculating on how popular it's going to be. These kinds of product features, you could actually maybe charge enough fees that you have enough in, of incentive to maintain the network. Yeah. Joe, John, what questions do you guys have? My question would just be around the challenges <clears throat> that you think come along with this. Like what worries you about uh, trying to make this happen? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think that um, in general, you know, I, I'm just trying to do the most efficient thing for the world. And I think everybody is, you know, Elon included. Uh, and, um, you know, I think that, I mean, the good news is that I, I think that blockchain's kind of like disruptive march, uh, at least technologically is almost there. Right. We're almost I mean, with DSO today, you're at a point where you can store a post for one ten thousandth of a cent, which you couldn't do even last year. Right. So from a technological standpoint, we're there. Uh, I think the question is whether we have uh, uh, the, the products, the, the social products that we need to disrupt Twitter. So basically, my theory is that uh, blockchain. So maybe just to go back a second, blockchains are really good at microtransactions, macrotransactions, and what I call regulatory arbitrage, right? So basically, if you're trying to build something on traditional Twitter, uh, you're bound to the traditional payment system. And that's really bad at small transactions. There are very high fees on small transactions with credit cards, but it's also bad at big transactions. Uh, so, you know, there's a risk of chargebacks that makes big transactions really inefficient with the traditional payment rails. Blockchains can fix that. They can actually make both of those extremely efficient. And if you think about it, the lack of blockchain, the lack of good micro and macro transactions is a big part of the reason why the early internet went into the ads-driven model rather than something based on charging fees uh, or something even based on blockchain, right? And so, uh, so I think that the question is, uh, are there new products that you can build that leverage microtransactions and macrotransactions in a new way that uh, are strong enough for users to, to want to use them instead of Twitter? Right. Uh, and so I think the answer is absolutely yes. And I think we're, in the next year, we're going to see products that mix money and social media in ways that we haven't thought of before. And that's actually going to break the network effect of Twitter's currently centralized model. But if we don't see those products, it'll be a lot harder to transition from the currently centralized model to a blockchain based one, which, again, can be more efficient because it's open and anyone can build on it. Uh, yeah. So. And there, I have I, a question, yeah. excuse me. Uh, my question would be regarding around like lots of people are trying to build these decentralized social medias and all different avenues, normally just copying kind of what the tech giants are doing, I believe. How do you guys win? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so uh, I think basically uh, with any blockchain, the way that it works is, uh, and, and this is a really interesting phenomenon, uh, but blockchains are actually very, I call anti-fragile um, because all it takes is a single killer app being built on a blockchain in order for it to uh, actually dominate uh, whatever uh, field that it's in. Um, so the way that that works is with Ethereum, for example, right? Uh, you started, you know, when Ethereum launched, everybody was kind of like, okay, what's the killer app that's going to make Ethereum take off? 
it ended up being ICOs uh, and in, in 2017. And the reason why a killer app is, is kind of anti-fragile is when you have a killer app that's built on a blockchain, what happens is that brings users and content and wallets uh, that then entice other developers, they incentivize new developers to keep building on that blockchain, which brings more users and more apps in a virtuous cycle uh, and creates a network effect, right? So Ethereum actually built this around financial applications, right? So when ICOs came, uh, you know, it's kind of people were like, hey, I can raise money in a way that I couldn't before do an ICO. That was the beginning. But then all the wallets that got onboarded in 2017 from all of that activity incentivized the creation of Compound and Uniswap and Yield Farmers and all that stuff, right? So the exact same phenomenon is going to play out with social uh, and with a blockchain, a social blockchain like DSO, where a single killer app that mixes money and social in interesting ways is going to create a seed of content that incentivizes other developers to start building on this platform in an unstoppable loop. Uh, and we saw the beginnings of that with a, launch, a, a prototype app we launched a year ago called BitCloud. Uh, that got, now we have over 1.5 million wallets on DSO listed on Coinbase. Uh, but it was all because that single app, BitCloud, incentivized hundreds of other developers to build on the platform. Now BitCloud's not even the most popular app. It's diamondapp.com, there's supernovas, cloudfeedapp.com, all these other apps. Uh, but it was from that seed that that network started to grow. And once we have a more retentive app, an app that's, that's, uh, you know, that your mom is going to you know, actually use, which is on the way, I think in the next few quarters, a lot of people are launching things. Uh, that's going to start the network effect for real. Gotcha. Nader, one of the things that I think is really interesting as well is uh, talent retention. So if you think about, um, you know, at Twitter, uh, I can only imagine uh, just the the kind of turmoil that's going on internally. You know, are we going to keep the existing executive team? Is Elon going to buy it? Now, all of a sudden, uh, Toma Bravo, it sounds like Blackstone or somebody is trying to get involved um, or Carlisle, whoever. Like all these people now are like, oh, Twitter's for sale. Like, let me, I've got a bid, right? And so if you're an employee, you may just be like, ah, I don't even know what who's going to be running this place in six months. Like I may just ex exit stage right how does that change when you have something that's decentralized and it's more of like a open source? Do, do you get better talent, worse talent? Is it kind of the same dis distribution? Like, how do you think about the talent uh, that is needed to build this stuff and like which system's better uh, if there's one that's better? Yeah, and, and it's super interesting because uh, you can run decentralized organizations in lots of different ways. Uh, you know, you can actually have a, a, a team building a blockchain that looks a lot like Twitter, right, if you wanted to. Uh, with DSO, the way we've chosen to structure it is we're fully remote. Uh, and obviously, everything is 100% open source, just like Bitcoin, so anyone in the world can build on it. Um, and what we found is several advantages uh, from that open source model is, uh, you know, one of them is that basically uh, people, because they're just passionate about what we're doing, they start contributing to the open source uh, code base. And then when they're doing that, we actually get to see how good they are. And then we're like, hey, we'll pay you, you know, a combination of Bitcoin and DSO uh, you know, to start uh, to start working on this. Uh, and so I think it's just a way, way, way better funnel of a pipeline of talent. And you're really unlocking ingenuity from all over the world. I mean, you know, we have a couple of college kids who have contributed more code to DSO than, uh, you know, some of our engineers, you know. <laughs> so um, I think what changes basically, especially if you embrace the fully decentralized model for development, uh, is... Um, the fact that you're open source brings people in from all over the world to, to build the blockchain. Uh, and uh, yeah, you're really just accessing a much bigger pool of talent. Uh, but then we're not even talking about the app layer on top of the chain, right? So with DSO, there's 
the DSO blockchain, and then there's the apps built on top of it. Just like with Bitcoin, there's Bitcoin, and then there's all the exchanges that allow you to trade it in a centralized fashion. Um, with DSO, the key is that the app layer can actually be decentralized, right? So with Twitter, we're kind of looking at this one team that controls this one app that we all use. But when things get decentralized, anybody can build an app on the DSO blockchain. And so instead of having one team, one app, it's thousands of teams, thousands of apps from all over the world. And what's really cool is that basically, uh, if someone, let's say in another country, like let's say in India, believes that he can do a better job of running a feed algorithm for people in India, he can do that with no, uh, with no barrier to entry and no cold start problem by building on DSO. So suddenly you get a feed built by someone in your local country, probably actually competes with a few other feeds built by other people in India, rather than using a homogenized McDonald's-like interface that's built by people in Silicon Valley, not even in your own country. Uh, so the, the app layer gets decentralized uh, as well as the development of the of the infrastructure, right? So it's very interesting. Yeah, it, it's fascinating to kind of think through this. When, when you think out, uh, you know, 20 years, is every single social network uh, going to be decentralized and open source or uh, is it likely we'll still have centralized and decentralized? It's, it's a great question. I mean, uh, so I think the speed at which we get to uh, a dominant uh, decentralized social network, let's say a decentralized social network with like a million users, right, let's say, uh, is um, I think that that happens faster if there are really exciting combinations of money and social that blockchains can do that are hard to do in the centralized model, right? I'm very optimistic that that's the case. And that for that reason, I think in the next year, we're going to see some really interesting stuff launching, especially on DSO. Uh, so that actually determines kind of the speed at which a decentralized social platform becomes popular. Um, and then the level of dominance uh, you know, if you have that one killer app, uh, that new kind of experience, uh, I think it becomes very dominant very quickly, right? Again, because you have all these people all over the world that start building on it in this very decentralized fashion. You're really unlocking the globe's like human ingenuity. So I think if we hit that killer app, uh, the, the takeoff to being 100 million users or more um, actually can happen really, really quickly. Um, so, uh, so I, you know, I would expect that in a few years, um, you know, uh, there's at least one, you know, social network built on a blockchain that has, you know, 100 million users across its application layer. Uh, but, you know, I'm the, ever the optimist, right? So <laughs> I hear you. What, um, what, what do you think, uh, if you had to pick right now, uh, what is the current social network that is most likely to end up getting to kind of open, decentralized, you know, new world first rather than the, uh, uh, the startups or the uh, challengers? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously going to say uh, DSO, um, you know, which we're working on. Because, no, 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 uh, no. Like Twitter, yeah. Facebook, yeah, like, the, like other the ones. incumbents. Yes. 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 It's a great question. So um, I think an interesting thing, Pomp, is basically uh, that Facebook actually w like saw this coming, right? Basically saw, hey, like, if you can build on a blockchain, there are all these different types of advantages that can lead to better products. And that's why they prioritized Libra, right? Um, and, you know, Libra was, was, yes, it was a push for, you know, getting dominance over the money supply, but really it's also building a better rail that you can then use to build better products. Um, and so I think Zuckerberg said, hey, like, you know, we don't want to have to integrate with a blockchain. We want to have, we want to own the blockchain that we're going to integrate with for these new social products. Uh, and so he went that approach. Unfortunately, the government, you know, shut it down. I was, I actually was kind of sad when that happened because I think Libra could have really generated a lot of innovation and in social uh, because it would have potentially shifted Facebook from 
that ads-driven business model to that blockchain-based business model in the most efficient possible way. Um, and but you know that didn't happen, unfortunately. And it goes back to how difficult it is to do things at these heavily scrutinized companies like Facebook and Twitter. Uh, but um, you know, I think that now uh, the the way that that um, existing dominant players decentralize is they integrate with a blockchain that's built externally, right? Uh, whether it's DSO or something else, you know, whatever whatever becomes dominant, um, you know, for that novel social killer app use case, uh, they integrate with it. Um, if you're asking me, you know, to me, Facebook moves quite swiftly. Uh, you know, I think they'll be probably the swiftest to adopt whatever interesting uh, killer app uh, feature, uh, financial feature happens on on chain. Um, but uh, but hey, you know, we'll see. Maybe maybe TikTok surprises us. I, I would be surprised if it was Twitter that that uh, leads leads the charge or pioneers integrating with a social blockchain. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. Where can we send people to find you on the internet? Yeah, thanks, Pop. Yeah, so you can go to diso.org. Uh, you know, that's where uh, you know uh, uh, we talk about the Diso blockchain and why it's important. Uh, and then uh, aside from that, diamondapp.com. Uh, I'm at Natter on diamondapp.com, and it's just that that happens to be one of the most popular Diso apps. Of course, there are hundreds of others listed on diso.org that you can use if you don't like it, but that's the one I use, and you can find me there. Awesome, man. Listen, thank you so much for coming on. This idea of a decentralized social network and uh, the battle between Elon Musk and uh, uh, Twitter is uh, uh, is going to be one to watch. So we'll see what uh, we'll see what how it plays out. But I think, uh, I, uh, I think I'm excited, man. I, I think whatever happens, it's going to be good for the world, and that that gets me excited. So. It's going to be fun. I think he's got an uphill battle, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I wish him, I really wish him luck. I really, I really want him to succeed. I, uh, right, I agree. All right. Sounds good. See you later, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.